Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is coming out, I believe, right before the winter solstice, because it's our oh, second wow. episode. So it's almost winter, you guys. Stay warm. Crazy. Unless been- you're in Australia, then jump in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> it's been cold here. Oh, wait. Welcome to Don't Fuck With Ghosts, <laughs> the podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. We are your blost sisters. I am Greer. And I am Betsy. It was backwards. It was so weird. It was fine. (laughs) No, it's terrible. Greer hates change. That's true. (laughs) Um, Wow. Happy winter solstice. Yeah. In the future, to future us. Yeah. Right now it's um, the beginning of December for us, but it will be the winter solstice in like three weeks. Do you have any winter solstice like... Uh, rituals or spells that you'll be doing or I don't but I probably will find one yeah you should yeah I should it'll probably be pretty similar to like what I do for the new moon but (laughs) so is this is it the 20th into the 21st or is the the 21st that's the solstice Uh, I always get it mixed up I think sometimes it changes but it's like around that time sometimes it's the 20th what the fuck um December 21st is this year's winter solstice okay I feel like you can find some really cool rituals. Yeah, I'm sure I can. So that'll be fun. Yeah. But it's just going to keep getting colder. But I, low-key, I'm excited for the cold. Also, it's supposed to be a pretty snowy winter this yes, year. Yes, I'm so excited Because for of the El Nino. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, man. It's been a little bit warmer the past two days, but it's made it really foggy in the morning because yes. there's so much moisture oh, in the air. The fog. I love it. Yeah, the fog has been great these last couple of I days. I love it so much. Yeah, it's been especially like because I've taken to waking up early to go on walks before work and like walking in the fog early in the morning when it's cold out oh, it just hits different. <laughs> I just laid down. Yeah, every time we do an episode where it's me telling the story, Gru lies down. <laughs> just be mindful because when you lie down, you you shake the cord a lot and it makes a lot of feedback. Does it really? Yeah, it does. I have to like, <gasps> call, I have to edit out it all. Okay, I'm, I'm sitting back up. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I think I was doing some of it on my own last time because I was kept having to nudge Stevie away from biting her ass. So, oh, it's okay. <laughs> you can bite your ass. <laughs> yeah, until it gives her scabs. But that's true. That's not good. Anyway, <laughs> well, by the time that we're listening, oh, we already talked about your birthday. Never mind. <laughs> well, I mean, you can talk about it again, but it'll be closer to Christmas. But <laughs> well, whatever. You'll be twenty-eight. My birthday tomorrow, guys. What are your wishes for your twenty-eighth year? Oh, man. Well, this was like my Saturn's return year, so I've done a lot of growing this year. It's been super formative. Um, I feel like I've become my true authentic self, and so now it's like I really know what I want, and I don't know. I feel I, I just feel happy. I feel like I finally come on the other side of this really challenging year, and it feels mm-hmm. good. And I just um, want to go after what I what I want and I, what, what I deserve this next year. So that's that's what I'm manifesting for myself. I love that. I do agree that you feel the most yourself that you have. Like watching you, I feel like you are the most yourself than you have been in a long time, longer than yeah. just this year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been over a year now since um, my whole life blew up. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm excited for the future. I think 28 is going to be good to you. Yeah, 28, it, it 28 has to be. just feels like more adult than 27, which I get it's it's older, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it just well, feels more, I don't know. Well, 28 is firmly in your late 20s. 27 could be considered mid-20s if you're yeah. joshing around, but 28 is the yeah. real deal, late 20s. I know. You know what's crazy is that my mom had my brother when she was 28. <gasps> And she always tells me that. She's like, you know, I was pregnant at your age. I'm like, okay, what do you want from me? (laughs) (laughs) I cannot imagine having a child right now. No. I don't mentally feel 27. But, okay, sometimes I mentally feel so much older than how I am. But then, like, really, yeah. Yeah. I just feel like I've aged a lot in the last year. Yeah, yeah. And, but then sometimes I feel much younger, like, like a child still. Yeah. No, I feel that too. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm still in high school (laughs) based on the shows that I watch. (laughs) But yeah, what are you hoping for in the new year? I, I don't care about it. So, okay. I I have no, I, I, I don't like new years. Um, so I have no hopes. I'm just like, well, just, it's just going to come by. Yeah. It'll just come and pass and that'll be it. That's very New Year's sucks. <laughs> yeah, I do hope, not related to my personal life, but I do hope that we have snow. Like, it'd yeah. be nice to be able to start off the new year with, like, a very wintry, snowy, like, winter wonderland. I would love oh. that. Yeah, like, two years ago. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that was That was that nice. Was awesome. I got snow days even though I worked from home. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta take what you can get, you know? Look, I'm not complaining. I'm just <laughs> shocked, and I don't think it'll happen again, so I don't know. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, indeed. All right, well, what are you reading right now? We need to do a Sad Girl Book Club update. Yes. So I finished Frankenstein, um, my, like, reread of it. Just such a beautiful book. So, so sad. So sad. And I forgot how sad it makes me when I read <laughs> oh. it. But it, but I loved it. Like, I'm so glad I reread it. So I had that in, the, in my back pocket. And then right now I'm reading a book called SPQR, which stands for Senatus Populus Quae Romanus, Quae Romanus, which means the Senate and people of Rome. And it's basically a history of like the rise of the ancient Roman Empire. So because when we went to Rome and we did that Colosseum tour, mm-hmm. I remember specifically, well, we didn't do the tour. We <laughs> went to the Colosseum and then kind of stood by tour groups and listened to what the tour guides were saying because we did not pay for tour tickets. Oh, my God. Did you forget about that? Yes, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. I mean, I remember going and walking around, but I don't remember standing next to talk. Yeah, we would like pretend to take pictures of each other, but oh then God, like listen hilarious. to what they were saying. I know. Wow. So I remember after we did that, I was like, man, I really want to read a book about the history of Rome because it was so fascinating. And then um, five years passed and now I'm finally <laughs> reading a book about the history of Rome. But it's really interesting. I can't believe that was five years ago. Was it? I think it was even. It was even more than five years. Six at this point. Five and a half. It'll be six next year. Ugh. Yeah, that's really crazy. But yeah, so that's what I'm reading. And then I have my book about the witch trials that I got in Salem, oh, yeah. which is on deck next. And then for Christmas, I'm asking for a book about the troubles in Northern Ireland. So I'm in like <gasps> oh, my history, yes, era, with dark my history. Books. Yes, yeah, really dark, <laughs> depressing history. Yeah. So that's what I'm reading. Nice. Yeah. What are you reading? Well, I think since the last time we spoke on this podcast, I finished 
the last installment of House of Darkness, House of Light. Mm. I mentioned in the last episode. I wrote a review about it. You can read it for free on our Patreon right now. And once I finished that, I read this book called The Unfortunate Side Effects of Heartbreak and Magic. Um, don't remember who it's by. Sorry, but you, you can just Google it because there's no other book named. <laughs> so, um, and it, it was really good. It was really a fun read. It was definitely like a mix between Practical Magic and Gilmore Girls, which is how it's advertised. Um, but it definitely read more so like um, a Lifetime Hallmark movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was very, it was very, um, parts of it were very sad. Um, she goes through grief and obviously heartbreak and so it does have elements of sadness to it but overall it's like a very happy like vibey kind of book where it's like oh they're in a small town and it's autumn and that and it's witchy and so like it was fun like a fun read that I needed at the time and like just got me into the autumnal vibes of everything I recommend it. It was good. It was not my favorite book, but I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I read... So I got two books in Salem, and the first one was My Best Friend's Exorcism. And I read it in three days. It was so good, <laughs> which might not be super fast for other people, but for that me... That seems fast to me. For A whole me, book in three days. Is. For me, yeah. yeah. For me, it is very fast because, like, I get distracted really easily, and so, like, I it's rare for me to find a book that I don't want to put down. And that one was so good. It's set in the 80s. And her they go, well, <laughs> there's like four of them. And they take LSD and go running around <laughs> in the woods. And then um, one of them disappears. And they can't find her for the entirety of the night. And then they find her in this like abandoned building in the woods. Like very Blair Witchy. Ooh. And she's like, obviously, that's like when she gets possessed. And she, like the whole, it's like very stereotypical. She starts acting out, starts acting weird, not like herself. And um, yeah, it's so good. And obviously, like the whole book is her friend trying to help her get unpossessed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there is a movie based on it that I, because I, oh. right after I finished it, I was like, I wonder, I was like, this would be such a good movie. And then I Googled it and there was already a movie out about it. And so I watched it on Prime because it was free on Prime. Yeah. It was horrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I read the reviews, I read the reviews uh, first and people were like, it's really bad. But then I was like, you know what? I just want to know for myself and like just see how they adapted it. Mm-hmm. And they completely changed so many aspects of the book. I hate when they do that. And it was just, and like the exorcist in the book was like such, they made him like kind of a caricature of the actual character. Yeah. And it, so it was felt like such a disservice to that character. And uh, it was, it was just such a beautiful story. I'm, I'm going back to the actual book now. Just, just wanted to throw in that the movie was terrible, so you don't need to watch it (laughs) if you've read the book, but it was just such a beautiful story about friendship. Why am I crying? Are you gonna cry? I don't know why I'm crying. Oh my god! Because it was such a it was such a beautiful ending. Oh my god! But literally, they they <laughs> it was such a beautiful ending. Why am I crying? What is it? The I'm just looking at you like it's fine. <laughs> it's fine guys. It was such a beautiful ending, and like they stay best friends for the entirety of their lives. And she was the only one that would help her when she was possessed. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, that does sound nice. It was. It was like the power of friendship. 
like my little pony. <laughs> no, friendship is magic, you guys. <laughs> friendship really is magic. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, this is editor Betsy. I just got to the part where I start talking about my best friend's exorcism and getting super emotional talking about it with Greer. And I didn't realize until after we recorded this episode why I was getting so emotional. Um, But as I was reflecting at the beginning of this episode, talking about this past year being super hard and challenging and formative for me, it was my friends that rescued me from that and pulled me out of the trenches of the worst heartbreak I've ever experienced in my life. And if you can relate to that, then you know how important your friendships are in healing you from that. And so when I read that book, that's why it resonated with me so much because my friendships truly mean the world to me. And you guys know who you are and I love you so much. And that's all I wanted to say. Don't take your friendships for granted. (laughs) All right, guys. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I can't recommend that one enough. (laughs) And then now that I finished that, I'm on to another book that's by the same author, and it's called... Are you crying? No. I have have crud in my eye. Oh, she's got crud in her eye, everybody. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) the second book that is by the same author that I'm now reading is called The Final Girl Support Group. Oh, yeah. And it's really good. It's... Like it sounds, it's a bunch of girls. If you're not familiar with the concept of the final girl, it's like in horror movies, specifically slasher movies, it's the last girl standing. So like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween or Nev Campbell in Scream, um, that kind of thing. And so, but it's like, well, what happens after? Like, how does that impact the rest of your life? And so like all these girls are in a support group together, but then shit starts hitting the fan and like they start getting attacked And so the main character thinks that there's somebody out there that's trying to kill the final girls, quote unquote. Um, And it's interesting because, like, she goes through all the stories of the different girls, and it all seems like they're based on actual horror movies that we know and love. That's cool. So, like, one of them was a babysitter, and her brother came back, escaped an insane asylum, and came (sighs) back on Halloween, that sort of thing. Love it. And then somebody... And so you know how in the Scream franchise, it's so meta and that they show that this whole film franchise, another like sub film franchise was made off of what was happening to Sydney Prescott and all yeah. her friends. Right. And they called it Stab. Uh-huh. That's the same. That's the same thing. So one of the final girls, that whole thing happened to her. Like, the Scream plot happened to her and they made a film franchise based off of her attacks and called it Stab. Oh, my gosh. Which is like. Can they get sued for that? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Um, But it's that sort of thing. And, like, they go through all their different stories. But, like, it kind of goes back and forth between that and then, like, present day where they're running away from this person or people that are trying to attack them. That sounds really good. It's really good. It hasn't made me cry yet. (laughs) It's not as... um, I don't think it's going to make you cry. I don't know. No, they were not all um, best friends for life. And (laughs) that's the other thing is when we did our Halloween um, episode and you said that you would rather get possessed by a demon than abducted by aliens. And then I read my best friend's exorcism and because you were like, and you have to be there to document it all. I was like, I don't think... (laughs) After reading that, I was like, I don't think I can do that. You you couldn't be the one person that would save me? No, I would save you, but like... Out of obligation, because I would, yes, because obviously I would, but I don't want to. I don't want to have to do that because it sounded traumatic. 
Wow, I thought you would want to be traumatized no. after me wanting to be possessed. So shows what it sounds horrible. Shows honestly. our friendship what, how that's evolved. I said I would do it, <laughs> but I'm not as eager to do it as I was before after reading that book. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, yeah, I guess I just won't get possessed, and then you oh. won't have to worry about it. Do you know what also? Because when I was thinking about that book, because we were talking about that right when I like got that book, and I was like. Yeah, because the her best friend's name starts with a G, and then the main girl's birthday was on. She had her birthday party on December fourth, which is my birthday. What? Yeah, that's crazy. So please do not get possessed. <sighs> okay, I'll try. That's another thing. One of the things that they changed from the book to the movie in the book when before they do the LSD, one of the girls is like, "I have a Ouija board," oh. but they just mention it. They don't actually pull like the girls oh, are like, okay. "No, hell no." Yeah. In the movie, they do the fucking Ouija board. That's such a huge plot change. Yeah. Why would they change that? Because it's a movie and they're like, ooh, Ouija oh, board. Yeah. You know, they want to show that. But no. Well, Ugh, we know better. So we know better. Yeah. But anyway, that's what I'm reading right now. I like these sad girl book club installments. Yeah. Um, send us book recommendations. Yes, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> please send us more because I'm once I finish that, I don't know what I'm going to read. Um... Because I'm still on my spooky book kick, but I did ask mm. for spooky books for Christmas. Oh, yeah, what like did you ask for? Um, Stephen King. I think Michael's going to end up giving me a Stephen King because uh-huh. he's really into Stephen King. And so he knows what is really good and what I would like. And I think we talked about the um, Pet Cemetery. Yes. And also Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. So. You should read Agatha Christie. I've never read yeah, any Agatha yeah, yeah. Christie books, surprisingly, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I keep, think we um, both like them. Yeah. And then there were none is one I've kept hearing about that mm-hmm. one and all the ones that have Hercule Perot in it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love whodunit books. Oh, then I have you should read the a book called The Magpie Murders. Ooh. I read it over the summer and it's a sort of like whodunit book, but it's set in like this small town in the English countryside. It was so fun. I loved it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's me saying yes i'm asking for the sequel for christmas but oh, nice. you would really like it how is it just a sequel or do they have more books i think there are more books in the universe but i think they follow different characters if i'm understanding correctly cool yeah yeah it was Sweet. really fun you would like it yeah all right well there we go there's the update you guys heard got to hear me cry for the first time ever <sighs> <laughs> Okay, um, so now I'm going to read us a listener story that was sent a long time ago. I think this was sent like our first year of doing this show. Um, But it's from our listener, Bree, and she sent us a DM on Instagram. So she said, hey, ladies, I started listening to the podcast and heard you mention how Greer's aunt had dreams of things that were going to happen at an event in a few days. That was in episode three when you were talking about your Mm -hmm. aunt having premonitions. Yep. She said, well, I have a similar story that none of my family will believe still to this day. So a few years ago, my five siblings, girlfriend at the time, and sister-in-law were supposed to be going to Missouri to visit family for a week. We live in Tennessee, by the way. Anyways, I had just started a job, so I couldn't go. About five days before they were going to leave for the trip, I had the same dream three nights in a row where I would wake up sweating and crying at the same exact time, 3.46 a.m. Oh, my God. The witching hour. Ooh. In the dream, they were on their way in two different cars, one behind the other, and driving down the road when a car would cross the median into oncoming traffic and hit the 
the first car my siblings were in head on, which would then cause the second car my other siblings, girlfriend and sister-in-law were in to crash. I would jump from seeing that collision in my dream to the aftermath of them being flung out of the car since some have bad habits of not wearing seatbelts and others in the car still, but all three cars were completely crushed and totaled. Then I would jump to seeing them all being covered in sheets, obviously telling me they all died. That's when I would wake up. This exact dream happened three nights in a row. And I didn't say anything for the first two nights because I thought maybe it was just a stress dream since I wasn't going with them. But then after the third night, I knew I needed to convince my dad to come to Tennessee instead. Anyways, after I convinced him to and it came to the day they would have been going on that trip, I saw all of them wearing the exact same outfits they had on in my dream, which wouldn't be crazy except it was spot on for all seven people. Anyways, not only not my only story I have for you guys, but I'll definitely send you another soon. But I enjoy the podcast and I'm binging you guys while I'm working. Keep it up. Y'all are doing great. Bree. That is so freaky. That is terrifying. Because like, I feel like if that happened to me having the same dream and so it's so vivid that she remembered every single detail mm-hmm. about what all seven people were wearing. That's it was that vivid. Incredible. And when you have that vivid of a dream, I feel like that has to be a premonition. Like I don't remember dreams to that degree of detail. No, certainly not. To Except what for when I had wearing. a nightmare and I, <laughs> I found Lil Wayne's head in a cake box. <laughs> I still remember that dream to this day. <laughs> yeah, no, that's and the fact that you woke up at th- three, four, yeah, six, the same, same three time. nights in a row. Like that's a pattern. Yeah. That's pretty scary. I'd love to know if that has happened. I know you said this isn't your only story, but I would love to know if that specific type of thing has happened to you at any other point in time. Like other premonitions. Because that's pretty, I don't know how else you could explain. That can't just be a coincidence. I want to know how she got, like, convinced her family to completely divert their trip plans and come to her instead. Because if they're non-believers, you're not going to convince them. Right, what would you say? Yeah, what what did you say to them, Brie? I'm curious. Wow, that was a really great story, Brie. Thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, she also mentioned that she has a story about her experience with sleep paralysis and the hat man. Oh my gosh. So Brie, if you're listening, please send that to us. We would love to hear that story. I want to hear that anecdote so badly. Yes. Um, friendly reminder, if you have your own paranormal encounters, you can send them to our email at dfwgpodcast at gmail.com or like Brie did, you can DM us on Instagram, whatever is easier. So yeah, I guess I will get into my story now. This week, I will be talking about the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe and haunted Baltimore. How did you come to choose this topic? I'm just curious. I think it was because I came across, like, my whole For You page on both Instagram and TikTok is, like, a bunch of, well, more specifically, Instagram is, like, haunted activities, haunted places, Mm -hmm. and so I came across one that was specifically Baltimore, and, like, I kept seeing Edgar Allan Poe pop up, and I just finished watching The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Is it good? It is phenomenal. I don't even know what it's about. It's made by Mike Flanagan, who did Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor. And he this is his newest project. And it was so, so fucking good. And it uh, it was an homage to Edgar Allan Poe work. So like each episode was a different short story. So it was like the Telltale Heart, the last episode was called The Braven, uh, The Pit and the Pendulum. Murder at the Rue Morgue, Murders at the Rue Morgue, um, so, so good. And each character was named a different, after a different Poe character. I mean, The Fall of the House of Usher is a Poe story. Um, and it was just, it was so good. So highly recommend that. But then that was also like, oh, I can like, I'd already been thinking about doing this, but then I was like, okay, 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about Edgar Allan Poe. Nice. Um, I do want to read more of his works because I'm only like really familiar with the Telltale Heart because I think we, <laughs> I think when we were in grade school, we went on a field trip to a play that was the Telltale, Telltale Heart. We may have. So yeah. And I had also, I think MFM covered his death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd heard, like I'd remember hearing about it being mysterious and like kind of unsolved, but I forgot most of the details. <laughs> so it was fun rereading about So many of you know Edgar Allan Poe as the famous American writer best known for his poetry and short stories, particularly his tales of mystery and the macabre, including The Telltale Heart, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Mask of the Red Death, and The Raven, to name a few. However, today we won't be focusing on his life, but rather his death, the cause of which still remains a mystery to this day. So on October 3rd, 1849, Poe was found delirious and disheveled at a tavern in Baltimore, Maryland. He sought the help of magazine editor Joseph E. Snodgrass. Love that. Like, go off. And was, ta- <laughs> and was taken to the Washington College Hospital, where he was treated for apparent intoxication. Poe had no visitors in the hospital and gave no account of how he came to be in his condition before dying on October 7th at the age of 40. Theories as to what caused Poe's death include suicide, murder, cholera, hypoglycemia, rabies, syphilis, influenza, brain tumor, and that Poe was a victim of cooping, which refers to the form of electoral fraud in the U.S. by which citizens were kidnapped off the street and forced to vote, often several times over, for an election candidate. According to... Several of Poe's biographers, so-called cooping gangs working for a political candidate, would hold random victims in a room and ply them with alcohol or give them face beatings to get them to comply. What? While Poe is known to have abused alcohol, evidence of the influence of alcohol is strongly disputed in relation to his death. So those are just some of the I <laughs> honestly theories. didn't know anything about his death at all. Yeah. It's... He's a mysterious man, this yes. guy. So now I'm going to kind of go over the timeline of what led him to being in Baltimore and showing up disheveled outside of a (laughs) bar. Um, So the events leading up to his death seemed to start around the summer of the same year, 1849. From July to September, Poe was in Richmond pursuing a possible magazine venture. He arrived there suffering the effects of what he described as a cholera attack accompanied by hallucinations, insistent that he had not been drinking. However, he recuperated and gave well-received lectures and readings to pay his expenses. He departed on September 27th for his home in New York City, having decided to relocate for an editor job and remarry. It's casual. Wants to remarry. No reliable evidence exists about his whereabouts until a week later on October 3rd, when he was found delirious in Baltimore at Ryan's Tavern, sometimes referred to as Gunner's Hall. A printer named Joseph W. Walker, sent a letter requesting help to the magazine editor I previously named uh, Snodgrass. His letter reads as follows. Dear Sir, there is a gentleman, rather the worse for wear, at Ryan's Fourth Ward Poles, who goes under the cognomen of Edgar A. Poe, and who appears in great distress, and he says he is acquainted with you, and I assure you he is in need of immediate assistance. Yours in haste, Jose W. Walker. (laughs) Post haste. Post haste. (laughs) 
Snodgrass later claimed that the note said that Poe was, quote, in a state of beastly intoxication. Snodgrass's firsthand account describes Poe's appearance as repulsive, with unkempt hair, a haggard, unwashed face, and lusterless and vacant eyes. Repulsive is crazy (laughs) to describe someone as repulsive. His clothing, Snodgrass said, which included a dirty shirt but no vest and unpolished shoes, was worn and did not fit well. John Joseph Moran, who was Poe's attending physician, gives his own detailed account of Poe's appearance that day, stating, quote, a stained, faded, old bombazine coat, (laughs) pantaloons of a similar character, (laughs) a pair of worn out shoes run down at the heels, and an old straw hat. Oh, no. <laughs> Poe was never coherent long enough to explain how he came to be in this condition, and it is believed the clothes he was wearing were not his own, since wearing shabby clothes was out of character for him. As mentioned previously, he was cared for at Washington College Hospital on Broadway and Fayette Street, where he was denied any visitors and was confined in a prison-like room with barred windows in a section of the building reserved for drunk people. Poe is said to have repeatedly called out the name Reynolds on the night before his death, though no one has ever been able to identify the person to whom he referred. Moran also claimed he attempted to cheer up Poe during one of the few times he was awake. When he told his patient that he would soon be enjoying the company of friends, Poe allegedly replied that, quote, the best thing his friend could do would be to blow out his brains with a pistol. In Poe's distressed state, he made reference to a wife in Richmond. He may have been delusional, thinking that his wife, Virginia Eliza Clem Poe, wow, it's a long name, was still alive, or he may have been referring to Sarah Elmira Royster, to whom he had recently proposed. He did not know what had happened to his trunk of belongings, which, it transpired, had been left at, behind at the Swan Tavern in Richmond. Moran reported that Poe's final words were, quote, Lord, help my poor soul, before dying on October 7th, 1849. So, because Poe did not have visitors, Moran was probably the only person to see the author in his last days. Even so, his credibility has been questioned repeatedly, if not considered altogether untrustworthy. For instance, he would change his recounting of events over the years, such as when he notified Poe's family of his death, and dates and times associated with the events leading to his death. He also claimed that Poe had said, quite poetically, as he prepared to draw his last breath, quote, "...the arched heavens encompass me, and God has his decree legibly written upon the frontlets of every created human being and demons incarnate. Their goal will be the seething waves of blank." despair. Wait, when did he say that? This is what Moran is saying. Like, he would keep changing his story, right? And so, like, one time he claimed that this was Poe's last words. Well, he was a poet, so maybe, actually. (laughs) But he was delirious. (laughs) I don't think he could even form sentences. Like, that's the thing. (laughs) True. Um, Well, really, we don't know, because we only have, like, one or two people's accounts of what was happening. Um, So... All medical records and documents, including Poe's death certificate, have been lost if they ever existed, which is why this is such a mystery. To expand on the various theories behind how Poe died that I mentioned at the beginning of this story, many biographers have addressed the issue and reached different conclusions, ranging from Jeffrey Meyer's assertion that it was hypoglycemia to John Evangelist Walsh's conspiratorial murder plot theory. It has also been suggested that Poe's death might have resulted from suicide related to depression. In 1848, he nearly died from an overdose of londonum, readily available as a tranquilizer and painkiller. Though it is 
unclear if this was a true suicide attempt or just a miscalculation on Poe's part. It did not lead to Poe's death a year later. In 2020, a psychological analysis of Poe's language theorized that he was suffering from a major depressive episode near the end of his life and that suicide could not be ruled out. However, the evidence for suicide was not consistently present in Poe's professional writings, leading the researchers to conclude that depression may have played a role in his death, but suicide seemed unlikely. On the other hand, Snodgrass was convinced that Poe died from alcoholism and did a great deal to popularize this idea. However, Moran contradicted him by stating in his own 1885 account that Poe did not die under the effect of any intoxicant. Moran claimed that Poe, quote, had not the slightest odor of liquor upon his breath or person. Moreover, Poe's characterization as an uncontrollable alcoholic is disputed. His drinking companion for a time, Thomas Maine Reed, admitted the two engaged in wild quote, frolics, but that Poe never went beyond the innocent mirth in which we all indulge. While acknowledging this as one of Poe's failings, I can speak truly of its not being habitual. Some believed Poe just had a severe susceptibility to alcohol and became drunk after one glass of wine. So, like, the few times he did drink, he would act belligerent because he couldn't hold his leg. (laughs) (laughs) Numerous other causes of death have been proposed over the years, including the ones I listed at the beginning of my story, brain disease, syphilis, etc., Cholera has also been suggested since Poe had passed through Philadelphia in early 1849 during a cholera epidemic. And if you are unfamiliar, cholera is a bacterial infection of the small intestine. Symptoms include large amounts. (laughs) Oh, no. Large amounts of a watery diarrhea. (laughs) A few days. Vomiting and muscle cramps. Poe apparently got sick during this time in the city and wrote a letter to his aunt saying he may, quote, have had the cholera or spasms quite as bad. Oh, no. (laughs) Not spasms. Uh, (laughs) An analysis published in the Maryland Medical Journal in 1996 by cardiologist R. Michael Benitez, it was suggested Poe's death most likely resulted from rabies, possibly contracted from one of his pets. Signs that pointed to this conclusion included delirium and Poe having difficulty drinking water when hospitalized, likely hydrophobia or fear of water, a common symptom of rabies, which I did not know. Oh, I knew that from the office. Oh my God. Wait, was that when... Meredith, oh, Meredith got, got bit by the bat. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Michael says, rabies patients have a fear of water, Dwight. And that's why Michael doesn't want to drink water during the 5K. The more you know. To stand in solidarity. Oh, my God. <laughs> um... This conclusion included the delirium and also the likely hydrophobia, as well as the fact that rabies victims can have the virus for up to a year after contracting it. The cooping theory that I mentioned earlier was based on Poe's appearance, since the victims of cooping were often given new clothes or disguises to fool voting officials and vote multiple times. Poe was found wearing disheveled clothes and shoes, and cooping became the standard explanation for Poe's death and most of his biographies for several decades, though his status in Baltimore may have made him too recognized for this scam to have worked. Then, of course, there is the murder theory. In his 2000 book, Midnight Dreary, The Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe, author John Evangelist Walsh presents yet another theory about Poe's death, that Poe was murdered by the brothers of his wealthy fiancée, Sarah Elmira Shelton. Using evidence from newspapers, letters, and memoirs, Walsh argues that Poe actually made it to Philadelphia, where he was ambushed by Shelton's three brothers, who warned Poe against marrying their sister. Frightened by the experience, Poe disguised himself in new clothes, accounting for, in Walsh's mind, his secondhand clothing, and hid in Philadelphia for nearly a week before heading back to Richmond to marry Shelton. Shelton's brothers intercepted Poe in Baltimore, Walsh postulates, B, 
beat him and forced him to drink whiskey, which they knew would send Poe into a deathly sickness. Walsh's theory has gained little traction among Poe historians or book reviewers. (laughs) Seems like a stretch to me. (laughs) So Poe is buried on the grounds of Westminster Hall and burying ground, now part of the University of Maryland School of Law in Baltimore. Even after his death, he created controversy and mystery. Poe was originally buried without a headstone towards the rear corner of the churchyard near his grandfather, David Poe Sr. A headstone of white Italian marble paid for by Nielsen Poe was destroyed before it reached the grave when a train derailed and plowed through the monument yard where it was being kept. Instead, it was marked with a sandstone block that read number 80. Oh. In 1873, Southern poet Paul Hamilton Hayne visited Poe's grave and published a newspaper article describing its poor condition and suggesting a more appropriate monument. Sarah Sigourney Rice, a Baltimore school teacher, took advantage of renewed interest in Poe's gravesite and personally solicited for funds. She even had some of her elocution students give public performances to raise money. Many in Baltimore and throughout the U.S. contributed. The final $650 came from Philadelphia publisher and philanthropist George William Childs. The new monument was designed by architect George A. Frederick and built by Colonel Hugh Sisson and included a medallion of Poe by artist Adelbert Volk. Love it. All three men were from Baltimore. The total cost of the monument with the medallion amounted to slightly more than $1,500, which in 2023 money would be $39,700. Poe's Poe was reburied on October 1st, 1875 at a new location close to the front of the church, and a celebration was held at the dedication of the new tomb on November 17th. However, before Poe was reburied, the crew digging up Poe's remains had difficulty finding the right body. They first exhumed a 19-year-old Maryland militia man, Philip Mosher Jr. When they correctly located Poe, they opened his coffin, and one witness noted, quote, the skull was in excellent condition. The shape of the forehead, one of Poe's striking features was easily discerned oh my god so they found him because he had a big ass forehead that's gonna be me when i get exhumed <laughs> why would you be exhumed well who, i don't know who killed me they might oh, have to figure Jesus. it out <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so on october 9th the day of poe's burial an obituary appeared in the new york tribune signed only ludwig the obituary floridly alternated between praising the dead author's abilities and eloquence and damning his temperament and ambition. Ludwig said that, quote, literary art lost one of its most brilliant but erratic stars, but also claimed Poe was known for walking the streets in delirium, muttering to himself and that he was excessively arrogant, assumed all men were villains, and was quick to anger. Ludwig was later revealed to be Rufus Wilmot Griswold, a former colleague and acquaintance of Poe. Even while Poe was still alive, Griswold had engaged in character assassination. The obituary quirkly, quickly <laughs> became the standard characterization of Poe. And in 1941, Arthur Hobson Quinn presented evidence that Griswold had forged and rewritten a number of Poe's letters that were included in his memoir of the author. But unfortunately, by then, Griswold's depiction of Poe was entrenched in the mind of the public, both in America and around the world. And this distorted image of the author has become part of the Poe legend, despite attempts to dispel it. Wow. Yeah. So he had this, like, arch nemesis that, like, fucked him over after he died. Major hater. Yeah, major hater. And also the, like, main pro, uh, antagonist in The Fall of the House of Usher is named Rufus Griswold. Oh, interesting. So just another example of how Mike Flanagan is a genius. So due to multiple theories 
and accounts in in conjunction with a lack of modern medicine and legitimate record-keeping. We may never know the truth behind the death of Edgar Allan Poe. There is so much contradictory evidence that exists regarding Poe's last days. It's hard to imagine that there will ever be a completely satisfactory answer as to what killed him. A mysterious man in life who loved the weird and unexplained until his last day. Ooh. So, just something to think about and ponder for the next week. <laughs> you know, he went to UVA, but he dropped out. Yeah, that's what my mom said. I was like, you know, he went to UVA, and she's like, oh, he dropped out, because my mom hates UVA. Sorry, UVA. <laughs> um, but yeah, and he, like, lived in Richmond for a while, mm-hmm. and I think he's just, he's mostly tied to Baltimore because of his death mm-hmm. and how mysterious it is. Well, the Ravens. Yeah, the Baltimore Ravens, that's mm-hmm. why. That's why they're called that. So, anyway... Now I'm going to get into Haunted Baltimore. Nice. Um, I used, my source for this is usghostadventures.com. And I'm not sure if it's the same ghost adventures or if it's like a separate thing. I don't think it is, but yeah. US, the, um, the, in the last episode when I talked about the uh, Lizzie Borden house, that is a US ghost, ghost adventures property. Like that oh. company, I think, owns that house now. And I don't think it's ghost adventures Zach Baggins, but. Yeah, I think it's yeah. separate. Because when I was on the website, it had no, like, Zach Baggins Yeah. And he anywhere. would put himself all you know over it, that those if it was glasses would be up at the top, you know. <laughs> the header. Yeah. yeah. So this was an article that went through the top 10 most haunted locations in Baltimore. So the first one, being number 10, is the USS Constellation. Docked in Baltimore's inner bay, this seafaring vessel abounds with the ghostliest stories on the open waters. Tragedies of war leave no wonder to the hauntings that ensue. For this C-1855 vessel, the haunted military history is just darn scary. (laughs) War casualties and injuries, sickness and accidents all play into the hands of the hauntings the ship holds. The bottom deck was once used as a prison and sick bay and is where most of the hauntings take place. Crew members are wandering around the decks in old-time uniforms. Horrific screen and conversations when no one's around are heard and the hauntings remind us of the complex part of history no one wants to hear until it becomes a ghost story Ooh. and that made me think of the boat that you covered yeah this uh see the horn what is it the, the uss hornet hornet yeah I think. Mm-hmm. cv12 wow what the hell yeah Okay, so number nine is the Baltimore County Almshouse. In 1874, Baltimore opened the County Almshouse to provide shelter for uncared for children, elderly adults, sick people, and the mentally insane. The Almshouse was plagued with overcrowding that led to poor living conditions and ultimately some deaths. 75 year old Anthony Rose fell to his death in 1909 when he stepped unknowingly into an open elevator shaft. And many believe his spirit remains in the building to to this day. Small children playing and throwing things are heard on the third floor. Constant chatting of women is often heard, and the faces of people are seen in the windows and throughout the halls. Dead bodies from the almshouse are buried in a cemetery behind the building, and alone and forgotten, perhaps the troubled lives they lived have kept them around in the afterlife. That, seeing faces in the windows is so scary because, like, it could easily be a real person, but, like, that's why we were so scared of some of the houses we lived in because yeah. we never knew if we were going to look up and there was going to be somebody there. Well, especially that first house just yeah. had that huge window in the living room, very <laughs> oh, exposed. And you used to scare me. Yeah. And Which, Corey got both of us one time, didn't oh, he? Oh, he definitely did. He I definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> 
Number eight is the Governor Calvert House. The Governor Calvert House is one of Maryland's most haunted inns, dating back to 1695. The house has been renovated and expanded four times over the years. In all actuality, this has merely given the ghosts more room to play. Which is funny, because that made me think of the Winchester Mystery House. Yeah. It's like they she kept expanding and expanding. But she made it confusing for them. She so did. I feel like that was different. Um, but anyway, in the 1940s, a woman died by suicide in the house. Her tormented spirit remains in the place and is seen wandering throughout the hallways. A man dressed in 1700s clothing is seen roaming the first floor, and many believe this is the ghost of Governor Benedict Calvert, who lived in the house in the 1720s. The most notorious haunting is the ghost of Dominic. Dominic worked and died in the house and apparently has no intentions of leaving. Very much aware that he's dead. (laughs) Interesting. Dominic hangs around to peer at women guests. Mm. But have no fear. Dominic promises to look but not touch. (laughs) Hotel owners called in paranormal investigators in the 1980s when renovations accelerated the ghostly activity. Man, I would love to watch a ghost hunting show that is, like, set in the 1980s. That would be fun. That would be really fun. Yeah. Or if Zach Baggins just wants to, like, cosplay, like, as the 80s. <laughs> Which he also would do, like, he I'm sure. <laughs> He'd get okay. on some parachute pants. <laughs> yeah. Number seven is the Edgar Allan Poe house. The Dark Rider is a, as creepy as the several locations he haunts in the afterlife. His ghost is seen all over the Baltimore area where he lived during a time in his life. His favorite tavern, his family home, and the Westminster Church Cemetery all carry his presence. It's speculated that Poe isn't the ghost haunting the house he lived in for two years with his wife, Victoria, but those are the speculations of some and not all. Apparitions of a portly older woman who putters around the house like she must have done while alive has been reported. This may be Poe's aunt or grandmother who both lived in the house with him. Knocking on walls, windows, doors opening and closing, and thumps in the night are all claims of the ghosts within the home walls. Poe is seen outside the house walking towards his favorite bar, the horse you came in on saloon. Whether Poe's ghost is inside the house or not, the Edgar Allan Poe house is one of Baltimore's most haunted locations. Number six is the horse you came in on saloon. Speaking of Poe's favorite drinking spot, this bar ranks in Baltimore's top 10 most haunted places. It's one of the only continuous operating bars. The horse you came in on saloon has remained open since its existence. It's also Maryland's only existing bar before, during, and after the prohibition. Referred to by locals as the horse, some believe this was the last stop of Edgar Allan Poe before being found in the gutter fevered and delirious. The bar has strange, unexplained happenings such as a chandelier that swings on its own and a cash drawer that repeatedly opens on its own. People have seen mysterious orbs around the bar area where Poe used to sit. Many see Poe walking down the street towards the bar, perhaps to drink before the last call. Stop by the bar for a drink if you dare, but don't be surprised if you fall victim to one of Poe's pranks. He likes to pull the bar stool out from under anyone who doubts he is there. <laughs> number five <laughs> number five is Fort McHenry best rem- remembered as the home of our country's national anthem the star-spangled banner Fort McHenry isn't just haunted by casualties of war victims during the war of 1812 only four Americans died at the fort however the civil war was a different story the lower chambers were used as a prison and several prisoners were executed there in 1919 the Spanish flu epidemic gave reason to use the fort as a hospital not only did patients die but many nurses that tended to the sick also died from the disease themselves hauntings at the fort include the ghost of Lieutenant Levi Claggett killed by a mortar that hit the cannon where he was standing he is seen standing guard at his post keeping watch for enemy invasion a soldier private John Drew Uh, was caught sleeping during his command. He died by suicide in the jail and is seen in the cell he died in and pacing back and forth on the deck where he fell asleep. The wife of a non-commissioned officer whose children died during another epidemic takes her grief out on the living in a hostile manner. 
She pushes people down the stairs and knocks others unconscious. Lights turning off and on, sounds of footsteps, and cries of the executed prisoners from jail add to the paranormal activity that envelops Fort McHenry to this day. Suppose you're a paranormal investigator looking to document ghostly activity at the fort. In that case, you need to go through some red tape to do that. Management requires a special permit to be filed. It seems they prefer the fort to be regarded as a history lesson and not the paranormal playground it has become. Number four is Middleton Tavern, which was built in the 1700s as a private residence until ferry operator Horatio Middleton purchased it in 1750. By law, a ferry operator had to provide lodging for its customers. Middleton converted the home into an inn for seafaring men, an essential stop for travelers used using the ferry to cross the bay. A prominent, prominent patrons included George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin. It's mere speculation who stuck around after death and haunts the tavern, but it may be Horatio himself. However, the staff named the most prominent ghost Roland. Roland is clad in revolutionary clothing and stands watching out the window, looking toward the water. It, it's as if he's watching for the fairy to come in, something he probably did many times in his life. It's obvious when Roland comes around because of the distinct smell of cigar smoke. An exception may be made for Roland, but the living is forbidden to smoke in the tavern. Staff and guests report glasses flying off the shelf one by one, shattering on the ground. Tables with dirty dishes have been knocked over, wall lanterns turned upside down, and shadowy figures are seen in various places around the room. Even if you don't see any paranormal happenings at the tavern, you will most certainly feel the rich history within its walls. Number three is the Admiral Fell in. Dating back to the 1700s, the Admiral Fell Inn has it, had its fair share of death and tragedy. In the early 1900s, the Women's Auxiliary established the Anchorage, a boarding house to care for injured and sick soldiers. Many of the soldiers never recovered to make it home, and outside the walls was no safe place like the Anchorage was for sailors. Life was tough in those days, and brothels, saloons, illegal gambling halls, and mobsters all permeated the area. It was expanded in 1929 by the YMCA, renamed the Siemens YMCA during its operation. It housed over 50,000 sailors in 30-some years. With tragedy and death, the hauntings abound. The ghost of a sailor that committed suicide wanders the halls, a murder victim in room 413 watches guests of the room. Used as a hospital during the war, a nurse still checks on her patients from room to room. And in 1999, Gary Mick brutally murdered Christopher Jones in room 413. Housekeepers reported strong gusts of cold air passing by their faces, icy hands on their shoulders, and an apparition of a man standing near the door. Paranormal investigators have gotten EVP recordings of a male voice calling out murder and head, most likely because he was murdered by being bashed in the head. Lord Number two is Lord Baltimore Hotel. The Lord Baltimore Hotel was built during the Great Depression, and it's believed the paranormal activity tied to the building stems from the deadly desperation felt by most during that era. The stock market crash caused a surge of su suicides, and Lord Baltimore Hotel was one of the many spots for the despaired investors to carry out this feat. Although the hotel ranks the second most haunted place in Baltimore on this list, it's considered one of the Maryland's two most haunted hotels, the other being the Admiral Fell Inn. The hotel was more than 20 has more than 20 recorded deaths by suicide during the Great Depression. Their ghosts are seen throughout the hotel and property. The most famous resident ghosts are a young couple and their seven-year-old daughter. The couple took part in the roof jumping and tragically took their daughter with them when they plunged to their deaths. The couple is often seen dancing in the ballroom, but the ghost of their daughter, nicknamed Molly by the staff, is a more prominent part of the hotel's history. The 19th floor is where the little girl hangs out the most, bouncing and rolling a red ball. <laughs> Known to chase after staff members... 
the hotel has lost several employees due to her presence. When riding the hotel elevator, don't be surprised when it stops at the 19th floor and the doors open to no one waiting to board. The elevator seems to have a mind of its own, picking up and dropping off people that just aren't there. And watch out for the icy hands in the elevator that many have felt during their ride between floors. Management assures guests that the resident ghosts are harmless. Your visit to the hotel will be both luxurious and fun. <laughs> I wouldn't count on getting much sleep, however, and don't be surprised if your remote control goes missing. And last but certainly not least, our number one most haunted location in Baltimore, Maryland, is the Westminster Burial Grounds. It goes without saying, the best paranormal hotspots are cemeteries. How could they not be? This was established in 1787. Residents of the cemetery include Edgar Allan Poe, his ghost appears to get around the Baltimore area, General Samuel Smith, and Colonel James McHenry. And these are just a few. The most notable, of course, is Edgar Allan Poe. His gravesite is the most visited and has the strangest phenomena surrounding it. Poe died in 1849, and oddly in the 1920s, the figure of a man dressed all in black with his face obscured by a scarf began to appear in the early morning morning hours at Poe's grave. The mysterious man left roses and a bottle of Poe's signature drink, cognac. This repeated every year on the anniversary of Poe's death until 2009. Poe himself has been seen standing before his grave with an expression of sadness on his face. Perhaps he is still longing for something unknown, even in his afterlife. The Screaming Skull is the most terrifying report of the cemetery's ghost hauntings. Folklore says a minister who was brutally murdered had a screaming noise coming from his body, frightening those preparing his body for burial. Somehow, his skull was packed with cement before being buried at Westminster. That obviously didn't silence the skull, as a high-pitched scream had been reported to come from the area near his grave. Lucia Watson Taylor was a young girl who died at 16 and is seen sitting at her own grave praying, with noted long hair and a flowing white gown. If you're thinking about causing any havoc in the burial ground. Think again. The 19th century groundskeeper chases off perpetrators with his shovel and shouts obscenities <laughs> at you. And I wanted to make an honorable mention and discuss the Greenmount Cemetery. The man who first patented the Ouija board, Elijah Bond, rests in peace beneath a headstone that playfully reflects that achievement. The headstone was purposely redesigned to emulate the Ouija board with curved letters, yes or no, goodbye, the whole works. However, such was not always the case. In one of the last century's most intriguing and perhaps intentional ironies, the man responsible for bridging the communication gap between the living and the dead was buried in an unmarked grave making him nearly impossible to find years later. But in 2007, Robert Murch, a paranormal enthusiast and Ouija board collector, located the grave, and Elijah Bond finally got a claim for his invention. Murch claims it took him 15 years to locate the precise grave in Baltimore's Greenmount Cemetery, several of those spent working closely with the cemetery owners. Volunteers and donation funds were pulled together to create Bond's truly memorable headstone, which bears the traditional name, birth and death dates on one side, and a replication of a Ouija board carved into the other. The grave is now a popular destination for nostalgia fans and people interested in the supernatural. After years of resting and obscurity, Elijah Bond himself is finally being communicated with one way or another. And that concludes my story about Edgar Allan Poe and Haunted Baltimore. I love that. And I was in Baltimore. (laughs) I was in Baltimore over Thanksgiving. So this is very timely that you decided to talk about this now. We got to go back and see the haunted locations and get some crab dip. I'm down. Sick. All right. Well, that brings us to our paranormal protection tip of the week. Learning to ground yourself is one of the easiest metaphysical practices to master. It may take you a little bit of time to figure out what works for you, but once you get the hang of it, the results are worth the effort. We recommend following 
a practice like this that we found online. You can find what works for you, but you could imagine a white light above you. And with every breath, pull the white light into yourself through the top of your head. As you exhale, imagine the white light pushing negative energy down through your feet and into the ground. And some people will visualize themselves as trees with deep roots going into the ground when they do this, which is quite similar to one of our paranormal protection tips from our previous episode. Yeah, basically we just want you guys to ground yourself. And you can pair this practice with onyx, obsidian, or any other energy protective stone of your choice. Your choosing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you have a restful and restorative start to your new year. And if you observe the uh, winter solstice, if however you are marking this time of year, we hope that it brings you meaning and purpose. Um, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at DFWG Podcast. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash DFWG podcast. You can join for free or you can join one of our tiered um, access groups where you can get access to bonus content. Shout out to our patrons, Brittany, Nikki, Jeremiah, Jennifer, Katie S, Katie T, Joanna, Sunday, David, and Allie. Make sure to send in your encounters to our email, dfwgpodcast at gmail.com, or feel free to send them over Instagram, DM, whatever works best for you. And also please remember to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple because that helps push our podcast out to new listeners and it helps us grow our little spooky family. Yeah. So remember, imagine that white light and ground yourself. And always stay away from Ouija boards. Happy holidays, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.